0: Good to see you all. My name is Brad. I'm glad you are with us. There is the Lone Mariner jersey in the room today. Good job, Bruce. Uh, Everyone else lost theirs, I guess. Okay, well. uh, So I spent uh, Friday at a a trivia thing for our our local partner, Camp Woodridge. and Yes, I didn't get much help from the scorekeeper, uh, Reed, who was supposed to help me with everything because he had the answers. Uh, Reed was playing drums today, so, but it got me on this little factoid thing, and I like factoids, I like little bits of information that are random, I'm a dad, I'm supposed to, and so, did you know this, did you know that Canada eats more macaroni and cheese than any other nation? Weird, right? There's a couple Canadians here, Canada, that's, that's strange, did you know that an animal's yawn is based, the longer the yawn, the bigger the brain? I'm gonna watch all who see who yawns first, then I'm gonna time it, okay? Uh, and and then this. Did you know that there are more mini Lego figures, the mini figs as they call it in Lego masters? There are more of those than there are people in the world. And if you look under my child's bed, this will confirm it. And on the bottom of my foot this morning, there was one. Uh, and then I came across this one. Uh, Who was, or I'll ask you all this in the spirit of trivia, who was the only missionary in the Old Testament? Yes, the Old Old Testament has one missionary. 66 books, 2,500 years, one missionary. Who was it? I can't whistle right now. Jonah. Oh, you got it! Yes, there's donuts in the back for you. That's your prize. It's Jonah. Next time, speak it out. Don't be shy. Jonah was the only missionary in the entire New Testament. Was he good at his job? Yes, he was. (laughs) What was his message? 40 days and then the Lord's going to destroy your town. Very simple. It's like six words in the Hebrew, right? The whole nation of Nineveh comes back to God. Jonah just hated his job. But he was very effective, which tells you you can still hate your job and be good at it. But Jonah was the only missionary, which is weird for a number of reasons. The whole idea of the Jewish people, at least in the Old Testament, their whole charter was that they would be a blessing to other nations. So if you remember the covenant of Abraham, and the covenant of Abraham is still important to us. We don't talk about it a lot. We should probably talk about it more. But the covenant of Abraham is still important to the church today because we've been grafted in, as Paul says in Galatians, to that same covenant. But the covenant was this, Abraham... I'm going to bless you so that you can bless just your family, right? No. So that you can bless the entire world. In other words, the entire world is going to get to know who I am through your family, Abraham. And Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. We did that last year. But the promise was this. The promise of God to Abraham was a promise of presence. It was a promise of profession. And it was a promise of provision. God promised Abraham that he was going to be with him. There's the presence. He promised Abraham that, uh, that he's going to have a profession. Abraham's line, Abraham's people were going to be missionaries. There's their job. They're going to tell the rest of the world about him. And then provision, if they bless you, or I'm going to bless you so that you bless others, there's your provision. The presence was with, protection from enemies. And then that last part is the part where I think the people of Israel got a little tripped up, and you can see it throughout the the book of the Old Testament. They forgot that last bit where they said, we're going to bless other nations through our lives. Uh, They became insular. They became, uh, you could say the word xenophobic, because they didn't really want to go out to other nations, and they missed their calling. Now, it wasn't just Abraham that heard this plan, and he didn't tell anybody. Everybody knew about this covenant, that God formed with him. Everybody knew about it. Not everyone lived into it, or they, they, they were afraid, or they didn't know what the last part of it looked like. And so, as Abraham lived, and his sons Jacob had other sons, and 12 of them, and then they went into Egypt for 400 years, uh, they tend to forget things in 400 years of time, because this is how it went. And when Abraham, Jacob, Jacob's line, Joseph takes them to Egypt, and then you open up Exodus 1, and they've been in Egypt for 400 years, years. 400 years is a long time. I can barely remember 10 minutes ago. Okay. I can barely remember 10 years ago. 400 years ago. Put this into perspective. America is only 276 years old. 400 years ago is 1622. The pilgrims are just getting settled. 400 years a lot can happen and a lot can be forgotten you can move on you can forget your faith you can forget your calling how many of you go to the grocery store and 20 minutes later you forgot why you were there or you open your phone to check the time and then pretty soon you're hours deep in facebook you're like wait a minute i forgot why i came here for imagine 400 years they don't know what's up they've heard of this god They know about Yahweh because he's the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're the the God of them. This, This is who he is, but there's no personal interaction with this God of Abraham. It's the God of Abraham. It's not their God. It's Abraham's covenant. It's not necessarily our covenant. There's a separation that takes place. And so in Egypt, they forgot. And then along comes this Moses cat, right? 427, 430 years later, Moses comes in. And he stands before Pharaoh and he announces these plagues saying, let my people go, let them go. Pharaoh says, no, we know the story. The, the frogs come, the sea turns to red, there's flies, and it's gross, and it's chaos. And then the last one was when the angel came and they painted the blood on the doorposts. And the doorposts, the angel of the Lord would come over and would pass over the homes that had the posts on it. This was where they get the term Passover. Passover is still celebrated today. This was the very first Passover. The next morning the Pharaoh realizes who he's messing with and God was doing all of these little plagues to challenge the god and goddesses of Egypt. And God's saying, look, Israel, I am your God and I could take out all of these Egyptian gods. Watch this. I'll give you ten plagues that challenge these gods and show you that I'm better. And Pharaoh releases them. So after 430 some years, they're off. And they're crossing the Red Sea. It was called the Baptism of Israel, if you want to get technical with it. They cross the Red Sea. God splits it. Pharaoh's army chases them. The sea collapses. It's really graphic in our children's, novel, in our children's Bible. Do You see chariots floating in the water. And my kid goes, what's that? And I'm like, I don't know if I want to explain that to you yet. But Pharaoh's army is gone. And Israel is, by themselves, a nation in the desert. Something happened 50 days after that first Passover that impacts us to this day. And I want us to take a look at it because as we look into our role as, as reconcilers, as we look into our roles as people who cross divides, tear down walls that we talked about last week to share the gospel, this has a drastic impact on who we are. And so 50 days later, they're sitting at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're a little afraid to go up. You, you would be too. This God who just did all of that in Egypt is saying, come see me. And there's thunder and lightning. And I wouldn't want to go up. And so they designate Moses. And Moses goes to the very top of the hill. And he comes down. And then he does this. He reaffirms God's covenant with Abraham. And it says, it still stands. God's goodness still is with you. The promise is still good. You are still going to be my people. You're still going to be my representatives. And he says this in Exodus 19, it comes out and says, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called him to the top of the mountain. This is what you are to say to to the descendants of Jacob and what you will tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then you will be my treasured possession out of all the nations. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And verse 6 says it all. It's all what Sinai was about. It was a commitment It was a group of people who were once estranged, who were once far off, who once didn't know who God was, and now they're they're being brought back, and they're agreeing to be God's flesh and blood representative to the rest of the world, which is what a priest is, right? When you see a priest walking down the street, and they've got their collars, what do you think of? Oh, he works for the church. You look at the priest, and you think, God. God. Usually that's what it's supposed to be because they represent what God is to the rest of the world. This was Israel's vocation. This was the part that they were supposed to live into. 50 days after Passover, which is an important number to remember. Just hold on to that. It's the day that they received the Torah, the law. And we we talk down on the law a lot, but the law is important and it's beautiful. It points to to what Jesus came to do. But But God says, look, you're going to be my people. You're going to be my representatives. I'm going to give you a law that tells you how to do it. How you are going to set yourself apart. And he does that and the law comes down. And there's a scene at the bottom of the hill the first time we'll get that to the minute in a minute but this all happened 50 days after passover and it was a significant time in in the history and some uh some rabbis have written and 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 there's midrash about this that says that the whole entire world fell silent on when sinai at the foot of sinai not even a bird chirped as if every living thing held its breath to witness that God was inviting his people back into connection with him in order so his people could be sent out. It's like they're going, oh my gosh, do you see what's happening right now? It's kind of like when you see a proposal. We saw a proposal a couple weeks ago at Chick-fil-A. Great spot. The Lord's chicken. It, it, It makes total sense. But there was a white cloth, and everyone's looking like, oh gonna happen and then it was our turn in the drive-through and I wanted my my Arnold Palmer drink and so we just proceeded but everyone looked at it and it's we talk about marriage because in this section it was as if God was marrying the people of Israel saying you're gonna be my people I'm gonna be your God I'm gonna show you how you're going to live this life in order that people will look at you and find me God's desire for the very from the very beginning Was to have people from every tribe, every language, every culture come into relationship with him. However, in order to make that happen, God needed a people. He needed flesh and blood. He needed you and I to be his messengers. And so if you turn from Exodus, if you were there, and if you go through Leviticus, there's the Torah. Keep going. Go all the way to the book of Acts. The book of Acts opens up as the disciples are staring off into the skies. It's kind of like this funny, uh, this funny picture in my head. I, I picture these guys just standing like this, wondering what to do next, right? They're just looking at Jesus go higher and higher, and they're getting more and more scared, as you would. And, 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 the, and, and they don't know what to do, and so they say, Jesus, what do we do next? Is this the time you're going to come set up your kingdom? Is this, is, is this what we've been waiting for? And Jesus tells them, this in this point it's 40 days after passover remember the 50 days after passover it's 40 days after passover now jesus has died he's risen he's walked around 40 days the passover of christ has happened and now they're wondering what's going to happen and he says this don't leave jerusalem in acts 1 4 don't leave jerusalem but wait for the gift my father has promised which you have heard me speak about and then if you go down to verse eight, it says, then you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the other parts of the earth. What's that sound like? Missionaries, right? It sounds like a group of people going into a foreign country or foreign places and telling people what they witnessed. Now, what did they witness? Jesus. What did they witness about Jesus? His miracles, everything about him, his life. And then they witness his death and resurrection and the inauguration of his kingdom, that you and I could be one with God again, that we are God's people. But the first thing that he says is the hardest thing for us to do. Go and wait. And then once that thing happens, and they don't know what they're looking for, but once that happens, you'll receive the power that's not of yourselves, it's from this Holy Spirit, this mystical thing that a lot of us don't spend a lot of time, or as long as we should study, and we'll get to it in a minute why, uh, but once that comes upon you, then you will go out. What's that sound like? It sounds like the covenant of Abraham. I'm going to do something to you, so that you will go out to others, right? Another way to describe this was their missionaries, their witness, they're, they're the next Jonah, but this time maybe they'll like their job. And this is, uh, this is hard for them to hear because there's that word Samaritans. Now, go to Jerusalem, easy. That's like next door. I can go to Jerusalem in, in like a minute. That's like going to Tacoma right? We're here. It's there. Seattle, Tacoma, it's all one place. Then go to Judea. It's a little bit further, so we're going to go down to Kent. Cool, it's still in the area. We still like these people. Go to Samaria. Wait a minute. I don't want to go there. I don't know what your Samaria looks like. Maybe it's the south. Maybe it's across the street. The place you don't want to go because you don't like those people. In Luke 4, it tells us that the disciples didn't really think highly of of the Samaritans. They wanted to call fire and brimstone on the country of Samaria. And Jesus is like, hold up, guys. That's not the way. I'm not going to destroy them. In John 4, they were looking at Jesus a little weird because he was having a meal with a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were, for them, untouchable. They didn't want to touch them. And this goes all the way back to the time of Daniel and Nehemiah. They did not like Samaritans. But the disciples were being called into something that was much larger than they could ever expect. They were going to go to places they'd never go and they were going to accomplish things that they never planned on accomplishing yet had been, had been planned, these things had been planned since the very beginning. And they were going to do this and if they were going to do this they would need a power that's bigger than they'd ever imagined. And so Jesus tells them about this power. Beforehand, Jesus is talking to them. Before he arises or ascends into heaven, he says in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. He will to help you and he will be with you forever. It's the spirit of truth. And in John 20, and listen to the language here. John twenty twenty one. it says again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus never sends anyone anywhere empty-handed and ill-equipped. So he says, I'm going to send you, but I'm going, not going to send you without the power you need. I'm going to empower you way beyond your abilities. And so day 40, they're sitting there like this, wondering what's going to happen next. Day 50 comes, and remember what happened 50 days after Passover. They received the law. 50 days after Passover, now in Acts, they're all sitting there in a room. Fifty days after Passover was a Jewish uh, uh, festival called the Festival of Weeks where they got together and celebrated the birth of the law, the birth of the nation. This is us. It's kind of like our Independence Day. This is who we are, and they're all celebrating. People are coming from all around the world to, to go to the temple to thank the Lord for the, uh, for the law and what it means to them. It was called Pentecost. Now watch what happens. Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, 50 days after Passover, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now the Bible likes to mirror itself. Uh, it's, it was this Sinai event happening all over again. Not only did they say that that oh, the whole world was silent at Sinai, some will even say in other teachings that tongues went out, tongues of fire went out from Sinai to every part of the of the world, and it's happening again in Acts two, 50 days after Passover. The difference here is the Spirit of God's going all the way throughout the world at Sinai. And now the Spirit of God in Acts 2 is coming to rest, not on a mountain, not on a building, uh, or in a set of words or a document. It's coming to rest on people. And the word for rest there uh, is, is simply this. It's taking inhabitants. It's, it's making a home. It's the Sinai event all over again where the people were called to be priests and be representatives to what God is doing. Now those witnesses in the upper room 50 days after Passover are receiving the same calling, but now they're being equipped in a vastly different way. Pentecost was the indwelling of the Spirit, which is the fuel that gives motion to what God was doing. The fire is now coming to rest on the people in the room that day. One of the, uh, the, the word remain is what it, what it really means. The Spirit of God is going to remain with you, which means that you're going to always have this power with you. When you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit comes in, seals you, gifts you, and then sends you to do what God is wanting you to do. The Spirit was indwelling them to lead them past their comfort zones. Remember, their comfort zone was Jerusalem. And now the Spirit of God has come and said, I'm going to send you out of your own little box. I'm going to send you into other boxes that you're not comfortable with, but I'm going to give you power to do so. Now, now whenever we hear about this passage, questions go up. If I were to say questions about this, you'd be like, what the heck is happening in this? And that's great. There's a lot of things that we can talk about. Not today. Maybe we'll do something a little later when we talk about the Holy Spirit. But whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, there are some reactions. Some people... I'd like to act like they have this backstage pass or this special insight to the way the Holy Spirit works. And whenever I meet these people, I tend not to hang out with them a lot. And it, it, that's just me. I, i'm I'm put off by this expertise of the Holy Spirit because no one has written the final authority of what the Holy Spirit does and what the Holy Spirit is. The final book hasn't been written about it yet. Some people like to brag. They like to impress about what the Holy Spirit is like. And then they have this attitude of, maybe one day you'll catch up to me. And they use, this Holy, they use the Holy Spirit as a way to elevate themselves. And so we shy away from the Holy Spirit because of that attitude. Or you have other people who refuse to accept any source of strength they cannot explain. So you have one side that says, we know everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit. And this other side that says, because those people are kind of jerks, We're not going to accept anything that we can't explain, so the Holy Spirit can't be explained, and so it bothers them, and it scares them. They think the church will go out of control if it incorporates any kind of Holy Spirit stuff, and so they clamp down on anything resembling or looking like Pentecost. Because of this, the Holy Spirit's beauty and power and comfort go missing, and I think that's where we are here. Not just here, but in the church writ large. We don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. We don't know how the Holy Spirit is gifting and empowering us, so we stay away from it. And we miss the comfort that comes from the Spirit. We miss the power that comes from the Spirit. We miss the giftings that come from the Spirit. And then the church becomes lifeless. And then it just becomes something you do on Sunday, and it doesn't propel you throughout the week. So there's something here that we need to pay attention to. The Holy Spirit is living and active wants to bring comfort it's it's the heaven-sent helper is what one author calls it to put you in places to tell others about jesus to put you in places where you will receive comfort from the holy spirit's words to put you in places where we encourage you and gift you so in the middle group you have the two extremes and in the middle group there is a group of disciples who love the lord and who love scriptures And like Paul says, they desire the gifts, which is a great place to be. You don't have to explain it all to experience it. You don't have to understand the Holy Spirit to have its gifts. The Holy Spirit works and you say, yes, more, amen, let's go. And that's a great place to be. In the center of there in Acts 2 is a revival waiting to happen and showing what it's like to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we fear going to the pendulums, and so we don't go anywhere. We fear going to the sides. And so, uh, and so we stay polarized instead of coming to the middle where there is joy, where there is enthusiasm, where there is power to draw near to God. The Holy Spirit is not something to be avoided, but someone to embrace. The Holy Spirit will draw you and lead you to places and relationships like the disciples experience or are about to experience that you never expected. So watch what happens next. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation were there. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because they heard each one, each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't these people who are speaking Galileans?" And that's kind of a dig, right? Galileans were the rednecks of the world. They, you wouldn't expect them to know different languages or different dialects. They, they knew what they did. They, so that's kind of a dig to them. These people shouldn't know this language. Why are they speaking my language? And so here they are. They're speaking the language. Then how does each of, them, each of us hear our own native language? Now remember the mission back to Sinai. To go into all parts of the earth. Remember the mission that Jesus gives in Acts 1.8. To go to all parts of the earth. What are significant hindrances to you and I traveling to another country? Language. Uh, I went to school in San Diego. We would go to Mexico often. I know enough words in Spanish to get myself arrested or in a big major fight. Uh, the, the words I, I learned in Spanish came from playing high school soccer. Those aren't polite words. So what did I do when I went to Mexico? <laughs> Don't say a word. Uh, just go, they want to charge you 50 bucks for a stop sign. Give them 60. Get out of the way. Don't don't do anything. Don't get into a fight. Language is a hindrance. So what's the first wall that comes up when we're going going to be witness? Language. And so the first barrier is gone. The Spirit removes it, or if you were here last week, the Spirit removes the wall of language so everyone knows that God is working. The Spirit pushed the disciples out of their comfort zone, and what did the disciples do to receive it? Nothing. They were waiting, they were praying, and then all of a sudden it happened. It's almost as if the, the Spirit was taking them by the hand and saying, "Come on, I'm going to show you what your role is going to be. I'm going to show you how big this is going to happen. Every nation under heaven is going to hear the message of Christ. This is a picture of the body of Christ. This is the picture of the, un- the, the unity of Christ. This is the vision of Sinai. This is the vision of Abraham happening all at once, a group of people putting flesh and blood into what God envisioned from the very beginning. And it's the birthday of the church. Then Luke does this. Uh, He lists the nations from the Parthians to the Medes, the Alamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, uh, Phrygia, you know that place, Egypt, And parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors of Rome from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. So both Jews and Gentiles, converts to Judaism means that they were not born Jewish; they converted from whatever they were in their Gentile land, non-Jewish. They heard the message of Christ. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now watch this. I think there's a map. Bart, is there a map? There should be a ma- No? Well, shoot, because I had a laser pointer too. It's there. So, okay. No map. I thought there was. There's not. If you go to the back of your Bible, you will see a map. I scanned it, sent it in. When you look at the map, what you will see is from Jerusalem in the middle and all of these nations across the whole known world at that time all descending on this place in Jerusalem. They're coming together. The uttermost parts of the world are hearing the message of God. They're hearing that God loves them. They're hearing that God is doing something, that God is building something through his people, through Christ. Now, it's important to note this. It's not saying that everyone's going to come together and everyone's going to wear the same uniform. We're going to be going places and we want to know that everyone's on the same team. That's not what happens Instead, it's it's a unity that's based on the person of Christ, and it shows how extensive and diverse the kingdom of God is. It also shows us that the work of Jesus transcends all the cultural differences that we each possess. It shows us again that the historically divided church is unified by the one Christ through the power of the Spirit. It's not just about reclaiming Sinai, but it's about undoing what happened in Genesis 11 in the Tower of Babel. Where language separates, now language is bringing people in. Where foreign languages confuse people, and now the foreign languages are erased. And now the outcome of Babel is no longer division, but unity on the basis and work of Christ through the power of the Spirit. What was initially used for division and hostility was being reclaimed for good. On this day, in Jerusalem, at the celebration of what happened at Sinai, in the inaugural ceremony of the church, people are not divided by difference, but are being united by the Spirit. The disciples are crossing the dividing lines of culture that they didn't, and they didn't even have to try and do it. Remember, they were doing nothing, they were expectantly waiting and people began to notice. And in verse 12 it says this, amazed and perplexed, they asked each other what this means. And that's not other people, this is the disciples. What what is going on with this? They're overwhelmed by the reality that everyone can understand them. It's not something they've done in their own power. They didn't know the language, all they were was available. And the text says that they were amazed and perplexed. Another way to say this was that they were speechless. They were speechless, yet what was happening? Everyone was hearing them speak. So it's a kind of a funny statement of what's happening. It's not their power. It's nothing they've conjured up. But it's the work of God in them. The disciples were speechless, but God was the one doing the speaking. The Spirit was giving the languages. The disciples couldn't get a word out of their mouth. The whole thing wasn't up to them. Instead, they were caught up in what God is doing. Now look in verse 13 of Acts 2. However, some made fun of them. And they said, oh, they've had too much wine. Now they're drunk. What they're doing, uh, and they probably responded, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. That's the joke you're supposed to sit. But Peter responds in his first thinking saying, we're not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. We're not drunk yet. But it may be later. But no, it's a funny statement, right? Because the, they, they couldn't understand what was happening. They, 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 the only thing they can do is try to point out what was wrong with it. Well, they're doing this as like a party trick because they're blasted, they're hammered. And it shows us this, when God starts to do something, when God starts pushing people beyond themselves, when God puts places people in places that they don't necessarily fit, when God starts using you to cross the divides in our world, it becomes terribly easy to be cynical. It becomes terribly easy to start to dismiss. Cynicism becomes a defense mechanism for God, for something that God is trying to teach us. But I don't want to learn yet. And it's true for many of us. We read stories of this happening today. Uh, we'll read stories of, of a church that had a, a, a sort of revival here, and we'll start thinking, well, they think this about the Bible. And the cynicism builds a wall, and you're like, okay, I'm going to dismiss them. We might not say they're drunk, but we could say that they're faking it or that they're, they're, they're trying to get intention. We doubt sincerity. We find holes in their logic or we make something up in their heads that allows us to, to separate them from what we think or how we think God works. And we dismiss what God is doing. Cynicism gets in the way of a lot of the work of the Spirit. And all of these are great applications that we should consider when you start thinking about what God is doing and all of a sudden your cynical wall pops up. It's something to take note of. But perhaps something to pay attention to more in this verse is this. the, uh, The phrase, they had too much wine. It's funny to laugh at, but the author Luke doesn't really put lines in any of his passages that don't have some sort of tie back to something else that happened previously. Remember at Sinai, There was that incident. Moses comes down with the law. He'd just been up there for a long time. And he comes down, and and the people of Israel have constructed a golden calf. And they're worshiping it. And then Moses sees this, or God tells Moses, this is what's happening. Uh, Moses comes down. He throws down the tablets. They break. And then there's this act of violence that happens that God says, destroy the people who are in charge of this. And if you look back in Exodus, the, the, the amount of people who died in Exodus thirty two twenty eight is the number 3,000. Then, watch this. Luke continues to talk. Those people had too much wine. There was wine at the, at the, in Exodus. This is why I bring it up in Exodus 32. It's kind of like this wedding ceremony. There's wine there. They're, they're in a drunken orgy at the base of Mount Sinai. And now 3,000 are dead. Acts turns around. People think they're drunk. And then if you look in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, those who accepted the message were baptized. And 3,000 were added to them. Luke is showing us something very important here. What happened at Sinai, the call for you and I to be witnesses of God to the rest of the world has not been forgotten. The covenant is alive. The same mission to share God's love remains intact. What was lost is being reclaimed. God and humans are coming together again. God's desire is for humanity to flourish. Pentecost launches the Abrahamic uh, promise to bless all nations. Pentecost Christians. This is the tie-in to our series now. Pentecost Christians, that's us. We're not Pentecostal, but we are Christians because of what happened at Pentecost. Don't allow things Like ethnicity, race, language, class, national allegiance, gender, education, geography, to hinder what God is trying to accomplish. Instead, the gospel from the day of Pentecost is for every human, and it becomes our mission to share it with them, regardless of who they are regardless of where they came from or what they believe. What happened at Pentecost wasn't a feel good cozy warm fuzzy prayer meeting in a historic chapel. Instead it was a noisy shake up of the status quo that keeps us from cro- that uh, the status quo faith that keeps us from crossing divides with the good news of Jesus. It was a shake up of what held people in their rooms, what held people back. It's a picture of what the church could be. A local body of believers willing to express the gospel truth in ways and languages and forms that push us beyond our comfort levels, that push us beyond anything that we're capable of. God's Spirit on that day was not just assigned to priests, but assigned to you and I to take the message to all places. What happens at Pentecost gives us a picture of how the Holy Spirit begins to break down every social barrier that stands in the way of the gospel. What was once scattered is being brought back together. What was once lost is being now found because of the work of Christ, because of the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is the only one who's able to level any kind of racial or cultural superiority. The Spirit is the only one who can remove any kind of boundary that we have. The Spirit is the only one who can propel you to walk across the street and talk to that neighbor you don't like. The Spirit does that. It works inside of you and gives you the power and the words to do it. One of the markers of the Spirit's presence in a person in community's life is not just a new, unexplainable experience. Instead, it's the marker of a new identity and a realized calling which leads people to a new attitude towards the other. The other is no longer a person with a different language. The other is no longer just a... a, a it, it doesn't, it, it's not someone who has a different nationality or a different ethnicity. The other is now your brother. The other is now your sister. And we know that the Spirit is present when we see believers sent out to the world to engage those to whom there is a dividing wall that needs to be crossed. And that same spirit that empowered the people in Pentecost is the same spirit that empowers you. And so the question we have to ask from all of this is: Where are you being sent? Where's your othermost parts of the earth? What's the person that you look at and go, "Man, I, I don't really know if I want to share Jesus with them." What's holding you back? And maybe the Spirit's saying, hey, go to them. They might look different than you. Yep. They might have different theology than you. Yep. They might be more progressive or more conservative. They might have voted for the other guy. There is a wall there. And the Spirit's saying to you, go, tell them about me. Why? Because what happened at Sinai, what happened at Pentecost, is happening within you and I. The Spirit is taking us to cross social divides. It's our job. We're missionaries. We can be afraid that of like Jonah. We can be afraid of these people. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Why? Nineveh people were mean. Nineveh people killed his his people. There was a divide there. But God says to Jonah, "Go to Nineveh and tell them about me." And Jonah goes. Six word message most effective message in the scriptures. The whole world, the whole town of Nineveh comes to know Jesus and, or know God then and they're saved. And that same spirit's telling you this today. The spirit that is in you is taking you across the dividing walls of your life, the dividing walls of sol- society and culture. If you combine them together, there's are soldier. It's <laughs> taking you to those places. And you have a choice. You can either quench it, or you can respond to it. You could say, I'm going to, to, to run away, like Jonah did. We all know what happened to him. Or you could say, I'm going to embrace this. I am God's representative, I am his priest. I, I am flesh and blood to what God is doing in this world. And I'm going to share this message and I'm gonna start small with across the street. Or across to your roommate, or your cubicle mate, if you're back in person, or the person on the Zoom meeting, wherever you are. I'm going to start small in Jerusalem. I'm going to go a little bigger in Judea, and then we're going to get to the Samaritans. And those are the people I don't necessarily like, but I'm called to go to them too. Well, shoot. Guess you better go. And then, if you when you unfold the Book of Acts, you see this part, the uttermost parts of the world. And if the map worked, it would show you this, that those people left Jerusalem and went back to the uttermost parts of the world. So it wasn't like these disciples were going to be giving these people a new message. Because those people in Jerusalem that day went back to places like Rome and Phygeria and parts of Egypt and Cyrene. Those people went back with an experience that God has done. All that the disciples did was go back and say, this is what God is doing. You've heard of this want to tell you something you already know. So, when you come to your social divide, you think that this is some this person's never known anything. Chances are, God's already working in a place that you never thought he would be working. And you get to name what God is doing right in their midst. So, what's the social divide that the spirit's telling you to cross today? Where is he taking you? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you never, give, you never send us without gifting us. You, you never tell us to do anything without preparing us before we go. We thank you for this comfort. The disciples didn't do anything special. They were just sitting and waiting. And Lord, today we sit and we wait. The call that you placed on the disciples, the call that you placed on, on the people of Israel is the same call you place on us to be flesh and blood representatives to what you're doing in the world around us. Lord, where are you calling us today? What divisions can we jump over? Is it because this person's of a different ethnicity than us? Lord, may we cross that divide. Is it because this person is uh, as able-bodied as we are? May we cross that divide. Lord, if it's an economic class, higher or lower, or even the same, may we cross that divide. If it's educational or geographical, Lord, these walls that we've constructed to keep people out, the walls that you say through Paul that you have destroyed, Lord, now you're calling us to step over the rubble and go. You're sending us, you've empowered us. So, Lord, may we send ourselves. May we send it. And see the beauty of what you are doing in this world manifested right in front of us. May your spirit empower us today. May your spirit send us today. As we worship, there's communion over uh, to your left Uh, When you're ready, uh, if you're ready, go ahead and and partake in that. Uh, But if you just want to sit in this silence for a minute and allow the Spirit to bring people to your mind of where you need to go, who you need to speak with, the divides you need to cross. May you listen to where the Spirit is taking you.